Mark chapter 1 and 2. If we can turn in our Bibles, if you have one, to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2. Um, we're going to be focusing on a text, the first few verses out of Mark chapter 2, but I want to just set a little bit of an introduction. We are uh, moving on in our, the early stages of a new preaching series called Transformed by Jesus. We're taking um, the next seven Sundays to journey our way through the Gospels, uh, looking at different encounters that people had with Jesus. Seven different people, seven different encounters, but each each person who encountered Jesus came away changed and transformed forever. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to remind ourselves of the incredible goodness of God and how God's love and God's mercy has taken each one of us by the hand and led us into a radical life change. We're going to, we're going to look back and, 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 at certain passages, look at certain passages, and we're going to be reminded of God's incredible ability to pour out hope into the most hopeless situations. I'm convinced God loves broken people. I'm convinced the Bible is full of story after story of, of where he invades broken situations and hopeless situations and, and pours out goodness and grace and love and mercy and changes people's lives forever. And that's what we're going to do over the next seven weeks, look at specific accounts in the Bible where Jesus has actually done that. My prayer, my hope for, for myself, for us as a church for those of us who already know Jesus, is that this series would cause us to, to, for our hearts just to be filled with worship and celebration, to, to thank God for the fact that he's changed us. But I trust and pray also that our hearts will be filled with faith, faith that we would know that, that God's transforming power is not just a once-off event the day we came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But God wants us to experience change and transformation and power and grace and love and mercy and hope and joy and peace every single day. And he wants us to share that with others. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then my prayer is that you would come back over these next seven weeks and that you would journey through us, with us, through the Gospels. And my prayer for you is that you would come to know Jesus personally and intimately, and that he would change and transform your life. That's my prayer for this, for this series. So that said, um, the Gospels, four Gospels give us four different ways or four different kind of lenses through which we can learn about and marvel at the wonder and goodness of, of, of Jesus. And I particularly love the book of Mark because the book of Mark is, is super action-packed. I mean, literally, it's testimony after testimony. It's, it's Mark showing us, revealing us Jesus in, in a, such a significant way, a God who has come down to earth as one of us, but who is moving and ministering constantly among people. After a brief introduction, we get to Mark chapter 1, verse 21, which is uh, Mark's first testimony of why Jesus has come. And this is a very significant moment because the first time we get to see Jesus ministering is Jesus showing us, telling us why he has come to earth. In verse 22, I think it is, it tells us that... Um, Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching. Jesus is teaching at the synagogue in Capernaum. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. What was this authority that, that, they, were, that they were speaking of? Well, in a, a few verses later, there's a man in the, the synagogue who is oppressed by an evil spirit. 
And Jesus commands that evil spirit to leave, and the man is radically set free. And in doing that, Jesus is showing us that the reason he came is because he has authority to drive out the works of the devil, to overcome the works of the devil, and to establish himself as God's rightful king over his kingdom. All other kings must flee. All other subservient kings must flee. And Jesus has come as God's rightful king. He's essentially saying the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has arrived. And then what Mark does in the rest of chapter 1 is he tells us three other incredible moments or stories or encounters that Jesus has with people. Jesus, after being in the synagogue, goes to Simon's mother-in-law's house. She's sick. And he begins to pray for her and heals her of her sickness. But in doing so, news about him begins to spread across the town. And the entire village brings all who are sick and oppressed. And Jesus heals them and sets them free from, from uh, uh, you know, evil spirits and sickness and, and, and disease. The next morning, Jesus wakes up and he, and he, and he, and he, before the sunrise, and he, and he goes off to spend time with his father. He's desperate to be in his father's presence. And the disciples chase after him and they say, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And I love Jesus' response. He says, we need to go to other villages. We need to go to the surrounding areas because I'm desperate for others to get to hear of the good news of the kingdom of God. And Mark tells us that that's exactly what Jesus does. He begins to travel from village to village and town to town throughout the Galilee region. And as he does so, he's preaching the gospel and he's setting people free. And then at the end of Mark chapter 1, this incredible encounter where a leper comes to Jesus. And he says these words, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You see, Jesus has already established his ability to heal. He's already made it very clear that he is able to heal. But it's no good being able to heal if you're not willing to heal. And in this moment, when the leper says, Jesus, if you are willing, you will make me clean. And Jesus has compassion on this leper. And he reaches out his hand and he touches him. And he says these words, I am willing. And immediately, the man is healed. Jesus is not just able to heal. He's also willing. He has the ability, he has the authority, he has the power, but he has the heart of compassion and the heart of love and the heart that moves when he sees people broken and struggling and sick and oppressed and diseased and he's desperate to set, set them free. In half a chapter of chapter one, Mark has laid the foundation for the primary purpose for, for Jesus' ministry here on earth. And that is to establish the fact that the kingdom of God has come. He's come preaching with authority. He's come to spend time in his father's presence to make sure that we get to see that Jesus' authority comes from relationship with the father. He comes preaching and, and healing and setting people free. And he comes to establish the kingdom of God. And chapter 1 ends in verse 45 with this rather probably unsurprising statement. As a result... Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Wherever Jesus went, people came flocking because they wanted to be ministered to by the power of God Most High. And that provides the context for the first 12 verses that we're going to read this morning and have a look at. So uh, Mark chapter 2, the words are going to be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible, but follow along if you do. 
A few days after this, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there were so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk, but that you may know that, I, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they were praising God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So essentially, Jesus is in someone's house. We don't know who. He's, he's having a connect group meeting. Like any connect group meeting, you'll find a church in the city. Just uh, preaching and power and pe- tons of people. And Jesus is in this, in this room. He's having a connect group. I've really sold connect groups now, haven't I? He's, he's, in, this, he's in this house. He's preaching the word of God. The house is packed with people. I imagine there is absolute silence as everyone is hanging on Jesus' every word. And as Jesus is preaching, above his head, this little trickle of dust begins to fall from the ceiling. And the dust soon becomes sand. And the sand soon becomes plaster. And very soon, sticks and, and, and rubble and, and, and straw begins to fall from the ceiling and, and light begins to break into the room. And then, as everyone is looking up, this mat comes down with a paralyzed man on it. That is a massive distraction when you're trying to preach. <laughs> a massive distraction, let me tell you. But to Jesus, it wasn't. Because of verse 5. Look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. I love the fact that, that it just as a little aside, Jesus heals in response to all types of faith, including no faith. We read in the Gospels of Jesus responding to great faith. Jesus heals despite no faith or little faith. Jesus in this instance heals because of the faith of friends. But what is constant in every single encounter with Jesus is not the degree or level of our faith, but the consistent, perfect bedrock of the faith of Jesus Christ. That's what's consistent through every encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says when he saw, it says when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, Your sins are forgiven. Now, he didn't say that necessarily for the paralyzed man. He said that because of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were wondering whether Jesus, who Jesus was, and he was establishing the fact that he had authority to forgive sins. And if he has authority to forgive sins, if he has the authority to, to forgive the huge, massive reality of sin, then what is a healing to Jesus? Which is why later on in verse 11, he says to the paralytic, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. And that's exactly what he did. You see, to Jesus, healing wasn't a distraction. 
But I suspect that sometimes to some of us, healing can be a distraction. Sometimes for various reasons, I think supernatural or miraculous healing can actually be something that some of us try to avoid or try to ignore. There are very legitimate, real reasons why some of us struggle with supernatural, miraculous healing. Some of you sitting here, it might be because of ignorance. You simply were raised in a church context that taught that supernatural healing wasn't for today or isn't for today. And you don't know any different. And, and, and although today's sermon doesn't address that issue straight out, because I'm preaching from the place of, of being convinced that the Bible teaches that healing is for today, can I say, if that's you, if you were raised in an environment where you, are, you, you believe that healing isn't for today, any of the elders, including myself, would be honored to sit with you and, and talk with you about some of the, the, the questions that you might have. Some of us find that healing is a distraction because of fear. It's very easy to be afraid of something that we can't explain. And the challenge with the miraculous is it's exactly that. It's miraculous. It can't always necessarily be neatly packaged or neatly, neatly explained. Some of us find that healing can be avoided or ignored because we feel unsettled or unsafe. Maybe you've been in, 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 in places where, where things have been done, quote, in the name of Jesus, and it's clearly manipulative or, or, or clearly controlling, or, or, it's, or it's completely void of the love of God or sound Bible teaching. Some of us here might be struggling with healing because we've been hurt, Maybe you've been courageous enough to respond to an invitation to come up for prayer, but you haven't been healed. Or, or, or even worse, maybe someone has told you that it's because of your lack of faith that you haven't been healed. Maybe some of you here are struggling with healing because of disappointment. You've prayed for the sick, but you haven't seen them being healed. I want to say, friends, for every single one of us, those are legitimate and real challenges that we face. And to be honest, I'm sure we all have experienced some, to some degree, all of them. For me personally, I, I was raised, I got saved and raised in a church that always believed in supernatural healing. But issues of feeling unsettled and at times fearful and at times feeling hurt and at times disappointed, I've experienced the gamut of, of emotions and struggles and victories and joys when it comes to the issue of supernatural healing. But this is what I want to say. Friends, wherever you are at, God doesn't want us to settle and build a camp around our disappointments or struggles. God, I believe, today wants us to break camp and to find some sense of healing in Him despite these difficulties that we may have. And my prayer, my hope is that today's sermon is going to help us all take a step forward into more of what God has for us in this particular area. God doesn't want us to treat healing as a distraction because it wasn't a distraction to Jesus. But can I say this? It also wasn't the final destination. Healing wasn't the ultimate point. Jesus had something far greater than just physical healing for this man. Jesus had the forgiveness of sins and an opportunity for this man to have relationship with, the, with God, not just in eternity, but also in the here and now. Healing is not a distraction, but neither is it a final destination. It is a signpost to the reality of the new kingdom of God. 
The kingdom of God where there is joy and freedom and hope and justice and healing, but ultimately forgiveness of sins and relationship with God that is available to all who trust in Jesus. I tell anyone who is preaching on a Sunday at church in the city that they need to be able to summarize their sermon in 140 characters or less. Because I believe it's helpful to be able to know in what is that statement? What is that one truth that you're trying to communicate to the people that are listening? And I believe if we had to ask Jesus, what was the 140 characters or less of uh, the summary statement of his preaching, I think it would be very clear. The kingdom of God is at hand. And in case we've been, you're new to church in the city or visiting for the first time and you're not familiar with the phrase, the kingdom of God, just to quickly give some definition to it, the kingdom of God is simply this. It's the, it's the realm on earth where God has become king through the person of Jesus Christ. It's the realm here on earth where God Almighty has established himself as king through the person of Jesus Christ. And therefore, all subservient kings have to flee. Generally, it's either self, or it's the world, or it's Satan. And the kingdom of God looks like something, friends. The Bible teaches the kingdom of God is, is healing. The kingdom of God is, is peace. It's joy. It's life. It's the power of God to set us free and to, de- and, and, to, and to deliver us. It's justice, which means equality and fairness for all, no matter our race or gender. It is comfort and ultimately, it is salvation. Can I say, just as an aside, it is my desire, and I know it's the desire of the eldership team, that we as a church express the fullness of the kingdom of God this side of eternity. We are passionate to see people supernaturally healed. We are passionate to see people set free from demonic oppression. We are passionate for people to understand comfort and joy and peace. We are passionate for justice. And we are nowhere near the fullness of the expression of any of those. But this side of eternity, as an eldership team and I trust as a church, we are going to give ourselves to seeing the length and breadth and depth and height of God's kingdom established through church in the city so that we can bring effective change to our city and to the nation's. That's our heart's desire. But the question that I'm sure we probably have asked or I want to try and ask and answer in the context of healing is this question. If God is king, if Jesus is king and his kingdom is at hand, then why aren't we seeing the extent of his kingdom to the degree to which we see it promised in the scriptures? I want to take some time to try and answer that question. You probably are sitting here with your own personal wrestles of why you haven't seen breakthrough in a certain area. As a family, we faced this issue and have faced this issue for 20 plus years over an, a significant area of, 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 of sickness or, or, or health that we haven't seen breakthrough in. And we pray continually, and we wrestle continually, and we cry out to God continually, and we haven't seen the fullness of breakthrough yet. And I want to take a bit bit of time just to help us understand what does the kingdom of God look like as Jesus teaches from the parables. Jesus takes some time, especially in the book of Matthew, to describe what the kingdom of God is like. And he uses parables or, or stories that are common to the people of the day. 
But as Jesus teaches these things, he seems to make it clear that the kingdom of God has certain paradoxes or apparent contradictions. I'm going to quickly go through those, and then we're going to bring some application at the end. This side of eternity, Jesus teaches that the kingdom of God involves success and at times failure. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a net that you throw out into the lake, and you pull it up, and it's full of fish, both good and and bad. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a field. It is full of wheat that is growing, and around the wheat, there are weeds that are trying to choke out the wheat. The most well-known parable of the kingdom of God is the parable of the sower, one that I'm sure we're all familiar with. In the parable of the sower, the, the, person, the sower who's sowing seed, three-fourths of the seed falls on rocky, rocky ground, on a path, or is choked up by the thorns and doesn't produce any fruit. But here's the good news. The seed that is so, the one-fourth of seed that is sown on good soil produces such an incredible crop. It's 30, 60, even 100-fold. It far outweighs the losses that, that we find of the, with the three-fourths of the seed. And here's the point I'm trying to make, friends. You know this to be true when you share the gospel with others. You know this to be true at times when you pray for for healing for others. Sometimes you pray and no one gets healed. Sometimes you share the gospel and no one gets healed. And you do it over and over again. But let me tell you, when you preach the gospel and it falls on good soil, that person who receives the gospel, the overflow of his life or her life and, and overflowing into others far outweighs the seed that has fallen on hard soil. You know it to be true in your own life. Surely you know of seasons, or I hope I'm not the only one, but seasons in your own life where you look back and it was hard and difficult and it seemed dry and it seemed challenging. But then you come into seasons of fruitfulness and joy and hope and fruit and and, and, and incredible victory. Success and failure. I'm going to get to some application in a few moments. Can I just say, for me, what we've got to do with this truth is simply this. Pray for more people to be healed And preach the gospel to more people. Because the more you pray for people, the more they will get healed. Gary and Candace are operating in an incredible favor in the area of supernatural healing. And there are many reasons for that. But could I suggest that one of the many reasons is because Gary and Candace are praying for more people this year than they were praying for last year. I mean, it's not, I'm not trying to be weird by saying this, but the more people we pray for, the more people we will see being healed. Take that home as the significant biblical truth of this morning's sermon. The kingdom of God involves transformation, but it also involves opposition. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like yeast that is mixed into dough. And eventually the yeast permeates throughout the entire batch. But at the same time, the kingdom of God is like like a field of wheat where it is sown. And as it grows, there is also the, 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 the enemy who comes to significant, specifically sow weeds that they may choke out the wheat. You see, friends, the kingdom of God will both change the world, but also be violently opposed by the world. The kingdom of God involves breakthrough and obscurity. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed. The smallest of all the seeds, it's obscure. It's hidden away. No one can see it. 
But eventually that mustard seed will grow to become the greatest of all the trees in the garden where every kind of animal and bird will come to feed on or, 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 or find shelter under the tree. The whole world will know about the kingdom of God. It's both obscure, but it also involves breakthrough. And can I suggest in our social media-driven world that we tend often to focus on the prominent over the obscure. And let's not make that mistake. There are many of us in this church who are doing things in the name of Jesus that social media or the world doesn't know about. And I wanna say, carry on doing it. The kingdom of God is both a free gift, but it also involves sacrifice. The Bible teaches the kingdom of God is like that hidden treasure that, that, that that man found. He didn't earn it. He found a hidden treasure. But once he found the hidden treasure, he went and sold everything he had so that he could get the field that contained the treasure. The kingdom of God is, is the free gift that costs us everything. Lastly, the kingdom of God is now and yet not yet. The kingdom of God is now, but it's not yet. The, the, the Bible teaches there should be some level of expectation to see fruitfulness now. The Bible says we should be expecting harvest. But yes, although we are seeing harvest and fruitfulness, we're not seeing it to the degree to which we, we, we're trusting for. The mustard seed is growing, but it hasn't yet become the massive tree. The yeast in the dough is beginning to expand throughout the flower, but it hasn't yet filled out the entire batch. We've seen 30-fold harvest. We haven't yet seen a 100-fold harvest. So how do we make sense of all of this? How do we make sense, especially of this now, but not yet? And, and people have used various metaphors. I've used various metaphors, including some successful and not-so-successful metaphors. I, I've used the one of the headless chicken. Some of you may remember that metaphor that I used a while back. My uncle owned a, a farm, and, and, and he... He would prepare, or his, his, his family would prepare a Sunday brunch or Sunday lunch, and it was a roast chicken, but it was a, a chicken that was raised on the farm that was freshly wrung that morning. I mean, literally, he would wring the chicken's neck and have the chicken's head in his hand, and the chicken would run around for a few moments before it eventually would fall. And the point is simply this, friends, that the decisive blow to that chicken has already been made, but the final death is, was still being acted out. And, and that's the reality of the kingdom of God. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, the final blow has been laid upon Satan. But the eventual victory is still to be outworked. People have used the analogy of World War II, and I've used that analogy too. Currently, I'm reading a book about Winston Churchill called The Last Lion. It's an incredible biography about this thick of Winston Churchill. And, and I came across this incredibly interesting statement that he makes in his journal in December of 1941. Those of you who know American history, what happened in December 1941 in America? Pearl Harbor, exactly. Up until that point, Britain you know, was fighting, the, uh, um, uh, fighting Nazi Germany pretty much on its own. Most of continental Europe had been overcome by, by Nazi Germany, and Britain was on its own. And, and in 1941, when, when, when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, Winston Churchill knew at that moment that the war was won because America was now involved. Listen to what he writes in his journal. Now at this very moment, I knew that the United States was in the war, up to the neck and into the death, 
So we had won after all. This is in 1941. He's stating we've won after all. How long the the war would last or in what fashion it would end, no man could tell. Many disasters, immeasurable cost, and tribulation lay ahead. But there was no more doubt about the end. Being saturated with emotion and sensation, I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful. You see, friends, the the decisive blow had been dealt when America joined into the war, that he was guaranteed a victory, although he knew there was still tribulation and difficulty and hardship and work to be done in order to see the victory being outworked. And it's so true for us, friends. Jesus has, has dealt that decisive blow and has destroyed the work of the devil. But until the final end comes, we will face difficulty. We will face failure at times. And we will face opposition and obscurity. And at times there will be sacrifice. And that some of us are going to wrestle with the reality that it's not fully yet. The kingdom is not fully yet. Because we're not seeing everyone healed. But friends, just like Winston Churchill, we can sleep the sleep of the saved and the thankful because we know the victory is secure. A day is coming where failure will be gone and opposition gone and obscurity done away with and sacrifice destroyed and the not yet will now become the now. Sickness and death will flee. Sorrow and sadness will be gone. Injustice will be no more. There will be success and only transformation and only breakthrough and, and, and the reality of the free gift and the fact that the kingdom of God is now at hand. Until then, friends, there is work to be done. There are people to be prayed for. There is the gospel to be preached. There is unity in the church to be fought for and guarded. There is service to be extended to one another. The kingdom of God is at hand. Healing is not a distraction, but neither is it the final destination. It's a signpost to the reality of the fact that a new kingdom is on earth. I want to take the last five minutes to to lay some application, to give us some really practical ways that we can outwork this, every one of us. My heart's desire, friends, there are are people in this room who are operating in, in in the gift of healing that is significant and it is exciting to celebrate and to watch. But I want to say, friends, as 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 the pastor, one of the pastors in this church. As much as we celebrate those who are operating in this, it is my heart's desire that every single one of us cross over into more of what God has for us. It's my heart's desire that every single one of us break camp from that place, perhaps of fear or hurt or disappointment, and step closer, patiently, into more that God has for us. I want to share a few things on how we can anticipate to see others encounter Jesus through supernatural healing. Some very practical things. We don't have time to explain, explain them too much, but some very practical things. Number one, be motivated and stirred by God's love. Perhaps if there's one truth you take home, let it be this one. I'm convinced if we are filled with the love of God and we see someone who is hurt or sick or oppressed, we will want to pray for them and go over them and relieve them by the power of God from their sickness or disease. 
Can I say healing outside of God's love is a clanging, noisy gong? Healing outside of God's love is a clanging, noisy gong. Let's be filled with God's love. Secondly, I want to say start where you're at and then take one step forward. We are all at different places in this journey. And I want to encourage you, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Start where you're at. But you have to do this. You have to take one step into the unknown. I'm convinced the supernatural operates in a place of of our personal discomfort. The supernatural operates in a place of our personal discomfort. If we are operating in our comfort zones, what room or space does it give for God to move? So here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you are new to healing and your spouse or your roommate wakes up tomorrow morning and they're not feeling well, before they go to the doctor, can you ask if you can pray for them? That's one step forward. If you're comfortable with that and you hear someone at work who's not feeling well or is feeling sick, why don't you offer to pray for them before they go to the doctor? Start where you're at and take one step forward. Thirdly, look for opportunities to pray for people. You see, this passage that we read in Mark chapter 2, it said Jesus saw their faith. Essentially what happened was Jesus uh, was operating with a gift of knowledge. He had a a discernment that the the friends of the paralyzed man had faith for for their friend to be healed. But not every one of us are able to operate at that place yet. And so here's my tip for you. Look with your natural eyes for opportunities to pray for people who are not well. If you see someone on crutches or someone with a knee brace or someone rubbing their forehead and saying, I'm not feeling well, I've got a headache, you don't need the gift of knowledge to know that they need healing. And I encourage you, use your natural senses until God is able to stir faith in you to operate from a place of word of knowledge. Go up to that person. I notice that your knee is, is, is in a brace. Would you mind if I prayed for you? It's as simple as that. Fourthly, thank God that he is always at work. John chapter 5 tells us that. Jesus says, my father is always at work and so am I. I'm convinced, friends, of the power of thanksgiving. The power of being thankful. Our friend Ken Ken Grenfell would say, an attitude of gratitude keeps the heavens open above us. And so something that I'm trying to start doing is thanking God every time there is some measure of recovery from sickness to health. Do you know that we are magnificently and, fi- and wonderfully created by an incredible creator that if any white infection comes into our bodies, our bodies at times naturally heal themselves because of God. Many of us have seen supernatural encounters where people have been radically healed because of God. Many of us are recipients of the advances in medical technology and the skill of, of, of medical professionals because of God. And a time will come when a final trumpet will blast and there will be sickness and disease no more because of God. We want to see more miraculous healing, but friends, can I say, be thankful where God is healing in a myriad of different ways. When you pray for people, nearly finished, when you pray for people, 
do so in the power of Jesus' name. I love teaching on the identity we have in Jesus. But can I say this, friends? We have no power or authority in our own name. The power and authority we have to drive out sickness and disease comes because we are under the authority of Jesus Christ. When we pray in Jesus' name, it is as if we are hiding ourselves in Jesus and we are calling on the perfect relationship that he has with the Father, which releases the power of heaven. Pray, release healing in Jesus' name. Second to last one, when you've done all of this, that provides the platform that we can share the love of Jesus. I used to think sharing the love of Jesus was such an onerous and, and challenging thing. It, it felt like I was climbing a mountain, you know, loading up my backpack and building up the courage to eventually find the strength and the conviction to have the courage to get to the top of the mountain and share my faith and inevitably they would say no and I would fall all the way down to the bottom and I'd have to start again. And it was exhausting. And I've used this analogy before, but in South Africa, when you take a driver's license, you are taught, you are always, every few seconds, you have to look in the mirrors, and you have to show your driving instructor that you were doing so. So you would drive your car, and every few seconds, you would look in the, in the rear view mirror, and then look in the side mirror, and look in the side mirror, and then look in the rear view mirror. <laughs> and that's what sharing the gospel is like. It's simply keeping our eyes and ears open to the opportunities that are before us. If you are in Starbucks and you hear someone on the phone say, I am having a terrible day, could I suggest that's an invitation possibly to go over to that person and to say, do you mind if I pray for you? Or if you hear your work colleague say something, that's an opportunity to keep your eyes open and to see what God would want you to do. Last one, could I say, tell someone that you stepped out in faith. You see, I love testimonies of people getting healed. I love testimonies of people getting saved. But do you know what testimony I actually prefer? Well, I don't prefer it, but you know what testimony I, I love just as much? is the testimony of someone who had the courage to pray for the sick for the first time. Even if they didn't get healed. The fact that you say, God, I want to be used. Friends, healing is not a distraction but neither is it a final destination. It's a signpost for the reality that the kingdom of God is at hand. I wanna pray for us, before I call Mark up to bring this meeting to land, I wanna pray for us, especially for those like me who at times have maybe been hurt or maybe felt unsettled or maybe you carry some element of fear or maybe even disappointment around this issue of supernatural healing. I want to pray for you that you would have the courage today and the power of God would come upon you to be able to break camp from a place where you've treated supernatural healing as a distraction. But I also want to pray for you today. If you are saying, Steve, I want to take that step forward. Irrespective of where I'm at, irrespective of what place I'm operating in, I want to take that step forward to that place of being uncomfortable so that God can use me. I don't always do this, but I'm going to ask in 30 seconds, if that's you, healing from hurt, fear, disappointment, and un un feeling unsettled, or wanting to just step into more, 
In 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand up, and here's why. We're talking about breaking camp. We're talking about stepping into more. And I think a physical response would be appropriate in that moment. And so if that's you, if you're saying, Steve, I want, I want you to include me in that prayer, I'm going to ask that we stand, and I'm going to quickly pray for you, and then I'm going to ask Mark to come in and, and minister at the closing of the meeting. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, as people are standing, Lord God, across this room, trusting, Lord God, that camp would be broken today. Lord, we have sung songs this morning of declaration, declaration of your goodness, declaration of your kindness, declaration of your power and your authority. And Heavenly Father, I want to pray, firstly, Lord God, for a release, Lord Jesus, of your hope and your healing and your love and your tenderness to come upon us, Lord, who are struggling with fear or disappointment or feeling unsettled or feeling unsure about this. Father, we ask for healing to come. The healing of hearts. The healing of emotions. Where people have declared over some of you, your faith is not enough. I break that off in Jesus' name. Where you've compared yourself to others and said, I'm not matching up. I'm not matching up. I break that off. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, for people to be free, free in you. And now, Lord God, I ask for your courage to take that next step, whatever that means, whatever that looks like, the courage to step into that place where only you can operate, Lord. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you forgive me where we've played it safe? Father, we ask, pour out your spirit upon us this morning. We say yes. Yes, Lord. We say yes, Lord, to more of you. Yes, Lord, to signs, wonders, and miracles that accompany the proclamation and the sharing of Jesus. We say yes, Lord God, to broken bodies healed. We say yes, Lord God, to broken emotions healed. We say yes, Lord God, to salvations breaking out in our city. We say yes, Lord God, to supernatural moves of the Spirit of God in us and through us. We love you, Jesus. What a joy it is to serve you. Just before I ask Mark to come, I just, I just feel I need to, I feel like there, are, there is this, this yoke of heaviness that is on some of us. This, this sense of having to perform when it comes to operating in the supernatural or sharing the gospel. Like, like, it's, a, like, it's, a, like you know, it's a measure of our success as Christians. And I want to say, friends, Jesus has measured up for us on our behalf. Jesus has, has on our behalf, has measured up before the Father. We have nothing to prove. And so I just break off that sense of performance in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray just a release of freedom on your people, just a release of your freedom on your people this morning. 
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thanks, guys. You can take a seat. Mark's going to close up this morning.